Two weeks ago, we, we have a, a care group that meet every two weeks, and we started to invite individuals to bring a scripture that meant something to them and to share it in the group. Um, and I'd been asking the Lord, you know, what to speak on on the Sunday. And Delia brought a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're not going to look specifically at that, that, but we are going to be looking in 2 Corinthians sort of 3 and 4 a bit. And it spoke about, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that's when we die, and we leave this body, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself, not made by human hands. And that we groan for this. We long for it. Nobody wants to die, but all of us long to be in God's presence. We long to see the wonder of him, the splendor of him. And we long to be away from the stresses of life, especially if we've been saved a long time. You know, we look out and we see a world that's getting darker and darker. You know, every day you listen to the news and it's so depressing. You pick up a newspaper and at the end of it you think, is there nothing good in this world? You listen to people's conversations, it's doom and gloom and misery. Everybody's moaning and complaining and there's no hope. You're not hearing hope out in the world at all. And even in our own lives as Christians, there was a time when you'd say to a Christian, how are you feeling? And you'd get, I'm fine, praise the Lord, everything's wonderful. Even if they were going through hell at home, it would be, praise the Lord, I'm fine. But even today as Christians, we're admitting we've got problems. We're going through issues and crisis and situations. And you barely get a chance to catch your breath before the next one comes or the next one, and it might be your family, or, or whatever the situation is, it's coming at you thick and fast. And to the world, the church is like, is where everything should be perfect. Everything should be fine, everyone should be singing, happy, clappy, that's how they look at us, isn't it? The happy, clappy people, you know? They're all so good in church, goody, goody. And you'd think that that's what you'd find in church, were so forgiving, were so tolerant. But there are issues even in the church, isn't there? And when you look at some of these big mega churches and the lifestyles of the people that are supposed to be ministers of the gospel, you can compare them to pop stars with their private jets and their cars and their whatever and their entourages. And it's very easy to see why people stand and go, Lord, come. Lord, enough, separate me from this earthly body, from this earthly life, and take me up to be with you in glory, where all of this is left behind. And it's really funny to know that we have all this knowledge available to us through the internet, through books, you name it, all the information. It comes at you in swathes. We read about the love of God, you know, we sing about God's faithfulness and his goodness, his greatness. We listen to the word of God being preached or being taught and all the promises that are contained in the word of God and we go, yeah, that's fantastic. And yet there's a, there seems to be a longing in the church today to see these things actually manifest. 
It's when you stop speaking to people and you hear the conversations going round in the church, there's a cry in our hearts. We're saying, come Lord, where are the things that you've promised? Where are the words of prophecy? Where are the healings? Where are the deliverances? And the church is crying out for this. The world is crying out for hope as well, but they don't realize it's God that they need. It's Jesus. But in the church, we are longing to see the power of God released within our congregation, released within our own lives, so that when we're out there, we literally carry the presence of the Lord. And lives are changed, lives are impacted. But when you listen to the conversations, we're not exactly seeing that. Some maybe, but not everyone. And this seems to be a desperate longing of the church. So again, it's easy to see why you've been saved a long time in particular. You start to think, come Lord, enough. We've been at this a long time. We've been listening to these promises and singing about them and waiting for them. Come Lord. And the Bible says that even the young get weary. Even the most virile of us gets weary. Life can beat you down. But we also know that until the Lord comes back, we got work to do. As a church, we're called to share the gospel. And so we have work to do. And I know that secretly, although we're longing to, to see God come back, we also want to be effective, don't we, in our lives? So have people walk through that door and feel the presence of God and be affected like it was in the days of Acts. That people literally, Paul walked past, was it Peter that walked past, and his shadow affected people. We want to see these things happen in our church. So as Christian believers... We live a life of what we call paradox, full of paradox. Mm -hmm. Means to the world our life seems absurd. It seems to be a complete contradiction all the while. We say that when we're poor, we're rich. We say that when we're weak, we're strong. And when we're powerless, we're more than conquerors. And you go out there and say that to the world and they think, you're, what's wrong with you? because it's a contradiction of what is actually happening. And at the end of the day, the way the world lives is if Google or Alexa doesn't say it, it ain't so. They don't understand when we talk about faith. They don't understand when we say, when I am weak, I am strong. It's a complete nonsense to the world. And Paul the Apostle, talked about treasures in fragile jars of clay. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Treasures in fragile jars of clay. And even that's a contradiction. Because who would take something precious and put it in a defective container? You wouldn't do it. I was reminded when I was doing this of years ago, I used to keep tropical fish. I kept them for 24 years and it became a real big hobby and it got to the point where I was I had two massive tanks and I had some discuses a huge big fish and they started producing babies and altogether the stock that I had in one tank was worth about five to six hundred pounds and I decided to go to the aquatic shop and say if I bring the babies on I'll sell them to you and we'll exchange the stuff that I need we'll do an exchange so that was valuable but they needed a bigger tank. 
So I went and had a specific tank built, huge tank it was, set it up, got it running. And then we went away for the weekend. And what I didn't realize is there was a slight hairline crack in the seal at the bottom of the tank. This thing held 375 liters of water. And we went away on the Friday. And when I came back, all the water had slowly drip, drip, dripped out. And when I came back, all the fish in the tank were dead. Every single one. So there was nothing wrong with, the, with what was in the tank, the substance that was in the tank. The problem was the container it was held in. And if I'd known that it was defective, there's no way I would have put something valuable in it. But Paul talks about treasure in fragile jars of clay. And that's exactly what God did when he looked at us. He saw fragile jars of clay, and yet he chose to put the secrets of the kingdom of heaven in each of us. From the greatest to the smallest, the richest to the poorest, irrespective of color, education or wealth. God chose fragile jars of clay to put a, a marvelous treasure into. And it's important when you think about clay, it's such a cheap commodity, it's everywhere. And back in, back in the days when Paul was speaking to the Corinthians church, that's what they used. They didn't have metal pots and plastic containers. They used clay, clay to cook with, clay to hold their liquids, their wine, their water. They used clay to store their, put their food in a storage. And they used, even used it as plate. So it was, it was something that was used all the while, but it was fragile because if you dropped it, it broke. If you'd knocked it, it cracked or it chipped. So although it was in, in a good supply, it was fragile. But there was also something else about clay I was thinking about the, this morning. It's also something that's got an everlasting quality to it. Because now they're doing excavations all around the world. And what are they finding? Clay. And it reminded me of our bodies. We are fragile jars of clay, but we have an everlasting quality to us. That when these, this thing dies, when this thing is gone, we continue. So there was a little correlation there between clay and this everlasting quality and yet fragility in, in the clay. And it's important to note that when Paul talks about fragile jars of clay, he's talking about us. He's not talking about the world, he's talking about the believers. He was talking to the Christians, the people who had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it doesn't matter how strong or how spiritual we might think we are, we've all suffered some form of disappointment. Put your hand up if you haven't. We've all suffered some kind of loss in our life. And we know the traumatic effect that that can have on you when you lose, whether it's a job, a loved one, you name it. It's like, it can be life-changing. We've all experienced trials and difficulties and problems. And if we got everyone to come and stand up here now and talk about that, we'd be here all day. And we've all been hurt by other people. We say sticks and stones can break my but words cannot hurt me, but that's a lie. The things that people can say can devastate you. 
And we hear every day of people that are taking their lives because of things that have been said about them. So just like fragile jars of clay, we can crack, we can be chipped, and we can even break. And as I said, who of us here has not suffered a knock or two? The Bible says in Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 10, I'm just going to use a little bit of it. If you just bear with me. <clears throat> that we are pressed on every side by troubles. We're perplexed. We're hunted down. We get knocked down. We suffer. And our bodies die daily. These are fragile jars of clay. That's, that's us. That's what we experience every day in our lives. And when you add to that, and this is, remember, we're talking about Christians. When you add to that, that we are disobedient people, God can tell us do something and we do the opposite of what he says. We can be stubborn. We can be weak. We want to serve God. We want to do what's right. But we end up doing something else. We can be rebellious. That's us. We can be doubtful and easily swayed. And the list goes on and on and on. You can add whatever you like to that list. But when you really start to think about fragile jars of clay and what we are like as human beings, it's amazing. This is where it brings us back to being amazing that God in his mercy would choose to partner with us. Why would he do that? Why would he put something precious in us if that's what we're like? Why would he do that? And I was reminded as well about a couple of weeks ago in our um, Bible study, we were talking around our table and we were saying, if Jesus was to shadow me for the week, what would he see? What would he hear me say? What would my thoughts be? If he had a clipboard and everything we did, he ticked it off on his little clipboard. What do you think the score would be? And it's funny, when I need to be sobered up sometimes, I do what I call the calculator test. And this is a, the most conservative estimate I know. You add your own number to it. I estimate that if I was to sin once every hour of the day, so it's 24 sins a day. In, one, in seven days, I would have sinned 168 times. In one month, I would have sinned 720 times. And in one year, I would have sinned 8,760 times. That's just, so just take that as one year. Then times that by your age. Think of the number of sins and yet God still decided to choose us. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Would you choose you? If I, I sometimes think, Lord, if, if I had something precious, would I put it into me? If, if all of this is true, would I put something that precious into me? If I knew my tank was defective, there was no way I would put 600 pounds worth of stock into it to be wasted. But God in his mercy and in his love and in his goodness valued us so much that in spite of all our faults and all our flaws he put the secrets of the kingdom in us 
and he calls us to be ministers of his gospel. That's an amazing fact. That alone should cause us to just be rejoicing in God and in the goodness of God. And at the end of the day, as I said, it's what we're all crying out for. We all want to see the power of God in operation. We all want to be put right with God so we know, Lord, we're doing the right thing for you. And Paul addressed this false teaching in the this false teaching and doctrine in the church in Corinthians. The people thought the way to be get to get right with God, the way to have God move in them to see his power acting out in the church was to follow the law, the law of Moses. And Paul had to address this. But they were upset with him because instead of preaching about the law, he was preaching about Christ crucified and faith in Christ. But they thought to be put right with God, we needed the law. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, and it is verse 3, and we're going to go from chapter from verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. So Paul was talking about an old way and a new way. The old way, the old covenant was the law and the new way. So the old way, with its laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at the face of Moses, for his face shone with the glory of God. Even though the brightness was already fading away, Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that we have the Holy Spirit living in us? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, we're talking about the law here, which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way that remains? And since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers the minds so they can't understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Jesus. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they don't understand. So he was talking about the fact that trying to be put right with God, wanting God to be effective in our lives and trying to be put, up, put right with God could never be done through the law. We could never do it by trying to follow external rules that if we try to do that it's like a veil comes down over us and we're the truth is hidden from us and the truth is Christ because he is the way and you could argue in a sense today back then they used the law but you can kind of argue today that we've replaced the law with religion we want to serve God, we want to see God active in our lives, so we think, I'll read more, I'll pray more, I'll go to more meetings, I'll give more, I'll do and I'll do and I'll do. And the more you do sometimes, you're tiring yourself out, 
Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't read and don't pray. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we put our trust in those things, in trying to please God, in trying to get right with God, in trying to have God impact our lives by doing stuff and thinking, Lord, come on, I've prayed for four hours today. Where's the power? I've been to six meetings this week. Why aren't I? And I've prayed for people. Why aren't I seeing the power of God being released. But Paul was talking about a new way. We're not made right with God the old way. We have to adopt a new way. Amen. Praise God. So when you sort of stop and listen, actually, can we go on to... Sorry, I think I stopped a bit short. No, that's fine. We'll leave it there. So what's what's this treasure then? If, that, if that's what the fragile clay jar is like, that we are easy to break, easy to chip, easy to fall down, we're disobedient from we're rebellious, and yet God chose us and put a great treasure in us. What's the treasure? What is it that we hold that is so valuable that even angels seek to have this and they don't. What is it that we hold? And like I said, Paul spoke about a new way. And I'm just going to go back. I oh, don't really. Paul said, under the new way, it's far more glorious than the old way because we have the Holy Spirit. He said, the new way makes us right with God. He says, the new way remains forever. <laughs> And the new way gives us confidence and boldness. And I just want us to turn to uh, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. But, pardon me, chapter 3 and verse 16. It's my writing. This is what Paul wrote. But whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And then if we can go across to chapter 4 and from verse 5, please. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach about Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light, this truth, shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. We now have this light in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our power comes from God and not from ourselves. So we cannot put ourselves right with God. The power to be put right comes from God. 
and the scripture is talking about within us, within these fragile human beings, is the treasure of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We carry the very glory of God inside of us. And when we go out amongst people and amongst each other, that should be shining, that should be coming out. And this is what the church is crying out for. We want to be effective in the world. And every person who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Saviour has been given the opportunity to become ministers of the gospel of good news, that Jesus came to save mankind, telling people about the glory of Jesus, who he is and what he did for us, and letting them know that Jesus is the very likeness of God. It talks about the fact that to know Jesus is to know God. To accept Jesus, to accept Jesus yet yeah, is to accept God. And to see Jesus is to see God. And we hold these truths inside of us, but it's so easy for us to sometimes forget in our desire to, to serve God, in our desire to, to want to be used by him, that we can, I'm not saying we are, I'm saying we can get to the point where we actually forget about what we hold inside of us and we try to please God by doing stuff. But God wants our hearts. He wanted rather that you didn't know the Bible from front to cover, but you gave him your heart because he puts the words in your mouth. If we believe and trust in him, he will give it to us. That doesn't negate us from wanting to read the Bible, but it means that we don't use this as our way of being right with God. It is through the new way, it is through faith in Jesus and believing in Jesus. So this truth was not given to us by keeping a law written on stone tablets which couldn't save anyone. It wasn't given to us written in pen and ink, but it was written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit living within us. And Paul taught that the new covenant, the new agreement, where God empowered us to be his ministers, could not be earned, but it was his own Holy Spirit who would live inside of each one of us, not just coming on us like he did with Moses and then faded, but actually living in us daily when we're sleeping, when we're resting, when we're at work, at school, wherever we are. Praise God. And that is through our acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from Jesus and only through him that we can receive the power that God has for us, that God can actually start to move on us because we're actually saying, Lord, it's all you. All I've got is me. I am just me. With all of my isms and schisms and faults and whatever, it's all you. It all comes from you. We sang about it this morning. It's all about you, Lord. And all I offer you is what I have. Whatever you've put into me, whatever you've put into all of us, that's what we offer to him. And it's through his anointing, his grace, his power, that we can become effective for God. I'm going to, I'm going to complete chapter 4 and verse 8. 
Because Paul says, how much more glorious is it that God chose to put his Holy Spirit in us, to come upon us and put his Holy Spirit in us? How much more glorious is that rather than the Holy Spirit just coming on us and then fading and having to having the Holy Spirit living in us? said everywhere we go. And this is the treasure the spirit of truth brings to all of us. And because we have this great light, because we have this great truth, this new covenant actually living in us, the Bible says we can be bold. And the law doesn't make us bold. The law condemns us. The law shows us where we have gone wrong. The law shows us how much we need God. God's righteousness compared to our unrighteousness. So the law does not give us this boldness. Nor does following religion. It doesn't do it for us. But when we receive the new covenant, when we receive the truth of Jesus, and we actually operate in it, and every day we renew it in our hearts every day. The Bible says this. I'm going to read from verse 8 again of chapter 4, but I'm going to complete it. It says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. And through sufferings, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that life, the life of Jesus, may also be seen in our bodies. So this is the treasure that we hold, the truth, this light this, that we hold in us that the world needs to see. But sometimes we gotta, we gotta claim it for ourselves. We've gotta believe that we are worth, that God put great worth and value into each one of us, so much so that while we were still sinners, even though we are in this condition of fragile jars of clay, he still sent Jesus to die for us because we are of value to him and because he wants to use every single one of us to do something for his kingdom. So I'm just going to conclude here. We all long for the day that we can be transformed into our heavenly bodies when we can kiss goodbye to this world and all of its troubles and all of its problems. But until that day comes, as I says, we've got work to do. And that work involves seeing the power of God active within the church and active within our lives. And I'm really sorry, but for some of us, we've got to accept the fact that there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no retirement. We're never too old to do something for God. You may not have the strength to be physically active, but we can pray. There's no redundancy in the kingdom of God. You never get to the point where you become surplus and of no, you know, we don't need you for anything. That doesn't happen. There's no holidays in God's kingdom. We can't say, Lord, we get six weeks a year. So we're going to have a bit of a time out. We are constantly called to do his work. And there's no sick pay in the kingdom of God. Because we, are, we suffer and we do suffer and the Bible tells us 
that we suffer. And there are people today who are suffering illnesses, diseases, problems, chronic problems. But even though we're suffering these things, that doesn't, we can't take time out from that. Because the, the thing is, these very situations, if we can hold true to the fact that we have the light of Christ in us, the power of God in us, we can actually use these situations to testify to people that when people see the way we have got hope and trust in God to deliver us, and even if we're not delivered this side of eternity, we're going to have a new heavenly body and those illnesses, those issues are not going to be going with us. And the world needs to see that hope. They need to hear that hope that we have. That, Lord, things might be rough, but in you. I'm not following the old way, the way I want to be right with you, the way I want to see you active in my life is by the Holy Spirit living in us and bringing daily the truth that we hold, that treasure that we hold in these fragile jars of clay because the world looks at us and thinks you're foolish. They think we're foolish. And when we hold an actual treasure in our hands. So I wasn't sure whether to do this or not, but I am going to. I'm going to share a very short testimony to, to finish. And that is, as I says, God has put something special and unique in each and every one of us. And he wants us to use that. And it's very easy for us to stand and think, let somebody else do it. This person's more qualified. That one's got better, whatever. But I became aware many, many, many years ago that God wanted me to speak. Years and years ago, I'm talking over 20, 30 years. But I said, you must be crazy, me. That ain't never gonna happen. Never ever is that gonna happen, you know? I don't know the Bible back to front. I don't pray from morning till night. How on earth can I stand up and say a word? But the Lord kept on. And it was during the baptismal service when Simon asked me to speak on the Wednesday. I actually didn't get the message until the Thursday morning. And the service was the Sunday. And my godfather had just died and we were consumed with sorting that out. His burial was the Friday, so I was there. There was no time to sit and prepare. There was no time to write a sermon or sit and read for, for days or weeks on end. And I went to bed that night and I said, you know something, Lord, here's the test. It's all you. It's your word. It's your truth. We're your people. If you want something said, I'll open my mouth. You fill it. And I went to bed that night and God literally, I dreamt the whole thing that night. And I didn't have a chance to look at it again till Saturday morning because I was consumed with the funeral. But God anointed those words. And I'm not saying that to big me up. I'm saying that to encourage us that within each and every one of us, and I literally mean each and every one of us, God has placed a, a secret, a nugget, a jewel, a crown, something that he can use. But he needs for us to recognize that all he wants us to do is give it to him. Put your hands in the air and say, Lord, I am a fragile jar 
of clay. And anything I try to do of my own strength is going to fail, but I'm giving it back to you. And let him anoint you. Let him work because he wants us. He's called us to be ministers of his gospel. And he's put this treasure of the truth of Jesus Christ in each and every one of us. So I'm just saying that as an encouragement. We serve an amazing, amazing God. And the songwriter says that he's indescribable. He's uncontainable. That he put the stars in the skies and he knows every single one of them by name. He's amazing. That he's incomparable. He's unchangeable. That he saw the depths of each and every one of our hearts. But he still loves us all the same. And he still puts that nugget of truth in each and every one of us. So I don't know if these few words have meant anything to anyone, if it's spoken to anyone. But I want to encourage us. I'm going to ask Mark, Nat, to play this song for us. You are amazing, God. And during that song, just take some time and just reflect on your own condition, on your own state as a fragile jar of clay and the wonder that God has done in your life that he's saved you he's called you he's filled you with his spirit and he's called you to be a minister of his gospel in this fallen world and after we've listened to the song I just want to ask us all to pray with each other the people that you're sitting next to we are the church Amen. We are the church. We don't need pastor to pray for us or anyone on the platform. We hold the power if we believe. And I'm just going to ask you after the song has played, just get together in groups and just start praying for each other. Pray that God will reveal to you the nugget that he's placed in you. Pray that he will give you the courage to use what you've been given. Some of you already know what God's asking you to do, but you're afraid you're worried, you discount yourself. There's no disqualification in God's kingdom, none. So I just wanna ask you just to get together in groups and pray for each other. If the Lord gives you a message for someone, give it to them, give it to them, amen.